for the past four weeks, we've been walking through a series called The Bible, and we've kind of walked alongside this epic series that's been on TV called The Bible on the History Channel. Its conclusion is tomorrow night, and some of the scenes that you saw today are actually from what's coming tomorrow night, where they focus on the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus Christ. And in light of this series, I want to do just kind of an overarching um, perspective on going through some of the things we've already covered, and just to give you five words that will help you understand it. Some people didn't go to Sunday school. Some people didn't grow up in the church. So I'm hoping these five words can kind of give you a a 30,000-foot overview and flyby of what we've been looking looking at in terms of this unified theme for the past four weeks. Because it really shows how God's story connects and intersects with, well, your story and in my story. So the first, we're going to come back to that passage. That's out of John 20 that we, we saw here uh, on the screens. And we'll read from there in just a few minutes. But I want you to just look at these five words first. First word is love. I want to tell people five things about the person of Jesus Christ and what he has done for them. It would focus on these five words. And the first one is love. If you read the Bible from cover to cover and you look beyond some of just the obvious things and go a little deeper, Peel back a couple of layers, you will find that Jesus Christ loves you so much, in fact, that he wants to spend eternity with you. That's the whole thing that we celebrate today. Because Jesus is alive, because he resurrected, we get to look forward to eternity. Easter was started by God himself. It was was motivated through him and by him and directed and orchestrated through him. Our, Our world didn't begin by some kind of random collision of gases. It didn't come by chance or happenstance. It didn't come because something ascended out of the goo and we started this evolutionary cycle that brought us to where we are today in terms of our humanity. It starts by this God who has this amazing capacity to love beyond anything that we could think. Genesis tells us, that it was God who created the heavens and the earth, spoke them into existence, placed the galaxies, this universe where it is. And out of that, he did it. Why? Well, because he loves people. And he wanted to experience and to express love toward his creation and that his creation would express their love toward him and, of course, their love toward one another. Genesis 3.8 tells us that literally after the creation, God literally would walk in the garden and have fellowship and literally talk with them. But then something happened and something marred that. But you see, God's whole focus from the beginning of the Bible to the end, it's all about this person of Jesus Christ who wants to be with us. Genesis 3.8, walk together in the garden. And then it says in Revelation chapter 22, the end of the book, it says that, that Jesus is in heaven and he makes this statement, I will be with my people and my people will be with me. Can I tell you something? Christianity is the only religion, religion that can declare that there is a living and loving God who started it and still lives today. Second word I want you to to consider is evil, how evil entered the world. 
Evil is, 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 is loose. It is rampant. It is all around us today. If you don't believe that, you know, you're really, you, you, you've got to be living in a major, with a major case of denial. When it came into the world, it wreaked havity, havoc on humanity and the nations. It started with the mistreatment of people, and then it quickly, in a short time, led to murder. And then we've seen all the wars throughout our history. We've seen the bloodshed. We've seen all of the abuses of people to the point of seeing parents doing unmistakable, uh, un, unspeakable things to their kids. That's how far down humanity has gone. The story of the human race has been affected by evil's entrance into the world. I mean, think about it. Some of you here, some of you have been affected by evil. Some of you had people do awful things to you. Possibly some of you just unspeakable things that you've never told anybody, nobody else knows about. Some of you here might even say, boy, you know, I've made some terrible decisions, some awful choices. And as I look back on them, what I understand, not to cast aside responsibility, but there was like an evil entity, there was an evil something out there that kind of influenced me and led me to, to make some of those bad decisions. There's, a, there's just an evil entity out there, isn't there? I can't believe some of the stupid things I've done. And I can't believe when I do them. I mean, I've gone, I've walked now with Jesus for close to 40 years, and I'm still doing things, I still say things, and I go, why did I say that? I think things, and I go, whoa, where does that come from? Why in the world would I ever think like that? And every once in a while, there's things that I'll do, I'll go, man, why did I do that? And I have this aha moment. And you know what it is? I'm not free from this evil influence this entity, because that evil influence, you know what it's called? It's called sin. We all deal with sin in our lives. That's what came into this world in Genesis chapter 3 through Adam and Eve when they chose to rebel against God. So when you watch the morning news, when you watch the evening news, I think we would all agree when we look inside of ourselves at times, we go, yeah, there really is. There's this evil thing, and there's this thing called sin in our lives. Third word I want you to see is redeem. Redeem. Hear me. This is the humanity's game changer. It's kind of right in the middle of the five because it's a, it's a key hinge. See, there's a, there was a heavenly tribunal to, of, of the Trinity of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit who gathered in the corridors of heaven in eons past, and they said, out of our great love for our creation... We've seen this evil come in. We've seen this sin that is taking place. What are we going to do? And somehow, somewhere in this little tribunal of the Trinity, John 3.16, we get the answer. Father God said, I love this world so much, I'm going to send my son, who is the exact expression of me. He is perfect. And he's going to go down there, and he's going to show a broken people, a sin-filled people. He's going to show them how to live. He's going to teach them his truth. And he's going to be an example to all. Ephesians 1.7 says that in Jesus Christ, we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. 
That's where that word redeem comes from. If I was going to talk to people about Jesus Christ, and when I do, I'm going to tell them about his love. I'm going to tell them about the evil. I'm going to tell them about how he comes to redeem them. That word redeem has a, it's a great, wonderful picture. It's a picture of a pawn shop scene. You know of a pawn shop. You watch some of those reality pawn shop shows now. And it's interesting, you know, somebody goes in there, they take it in, and they get money for it, and they get a ticket, they either get it back if they want to pay back the money with a little charge, or they lose it. Well, we've been sold out to this thing called sin, this thing called evil. And Jesus said, I am going to redeem you. I have come to buy you back. So what Jesus Christ did on Good Friday 2,000 years ago, on his shoulders, he took upon him the accumulated sin and evil of humanity, past, present, and future. And he died this thing called an atoning, sacrificial death. What that means, they're, they're theological terms. It basically says, Jesus took your place. So you don't have to die. Oh, well, we die physically but we don't have to die spiritually. He came to pay the price to redeem us. And then you go to 1 John chapter 3, it says this, that Jesus came to destroy the works of the enemy. Well, who's, who brings forth the evil? Well, it's the enemy of your soul, my soul. So he does this and he redeems us. And today, loved ones, the resurrection. It happened on the third day, proving that Jesus Christ is God. Everybody thought when he died on the cross on Good Friday, guess what? It's over. It's done. And then on the third day, he comes busting out and surprised even his closest followers and continues to surprise people even today. But what did he do? He proved he was God. He proved he was God over the living. He proved he was God over the dead. And he set in motion for all of us that respond to him to be resurrected and to spend eternity with him one day. That's the resurrection. It is a game changer for human history. I want to give you two more words, and the fourth one is choice. Redeem is, is humanity's game changer. But the word choice, this is a personal game changer. This is a game changer for every other person. Genesis 2 and 3 says God creates Adam and Eve. He places them in this garden. We call it the Garden of Eden, the most beautiful place the earth has ever seen. The most perfect place the earth has ever seen. Two perfect people. These were the first tens, okay? They were the only tens this earth has ever saw. They, they were never marred by sin. Until all of a sudden, in Genesis chapter 3. See, what took place is that when God created Adam and Eve, I think, I believe that one of the riskiest things that God ever did was when he made his creation, he said, I'm going to infuse them and every person following with what? Free will. Freedom to choose. Now, if I was God and... I know you're glad I'm not. Maybe if you were God, what would you do? I know what I would do. I'd probably put some kind of a computer chip in their mind so that I would have full control over them. Or I would have programmed them in such a way so they got to carry out all my plans and all my purposes. Or I'd turn them into automatons or 
You know, where they, whatever I said, they would do. Do my bidding. But God didn't do that. He said, what I'm going to do when I create you, I'm going to cre- create you with total freedom of choice. You can live and decide to love and obey me, or you can reject me and my life and my redemptive purposes for you. But you're going to make the choice. And if you really, if you really break that down, that's another powerful example and expression of the love of God, isn't it? Because, see, true love will always have freedom with it. You will always have the choice to accept that love or to reject that love. And that's what God gave Adam and Eve. Oh, and he gives it to you and me. We can choose evil. We can choose wrong. And the results of that freedom of choice, I mean, just consider, friends, throughout history what's happened. All of the bad stuff because people made awful, bad, evil choices. Why? Because every person needs to be redeemed by Jesus Christ. And see, God's not going to make all of the choices for you. He has said, I'm going to give you freedom to do that. Do you know what the most devastating disease is in the history as we know it? It's smallpox. As I was reading about this, I found out yesterday that smallpox is now considered an eradicated disease, that it's no longer a threat to humanity. But for years, for centuries, for millennia, it literally killed over a billion, billions of people. In the 20th century alone, it killed over 200 to 300 million people. That is literally the population of the United States in a 100-year period. And then all of a sudden, providentially, thank God, they found a vaccine. Now, once that vaccine came, people had to make a couple of decisions. Will I trust the vaccine? Will I trust the doctors to administer it? And then will I go do it? What's interesting is when it first came out, do you realize how many people didn't get the vaccine and how many hundreds of thousands of people still died even though they had access to it, it was accessible to them, but they didn't trust it? That's a bad choice. To have something available to you, to save you, to help you, to give you health and life. And you say, no, thank you. It's kind of similar to Christianity. See, it's great that we celebrate this truth today. We serve a risen Jesus Christ, the God who came in the flesh, who was perfect, who came to redeem us from our sin and our failure. Yet the reality of this truth and day is celebrated around the world. But hear me, it, it, it means nothing if one simply hears about it and does nothing with it. It's like the patient who breaks their arm and they run to the doctor and say, doctor, I think I got a broken arm. And the doctor x-rays it and he goes, sits him down with the patient. He goes, yeah, look at this. It's it's broken. It's broken right here. And the patient's listening and the doctor starts to tell them what they got to do. And the patient goes, oh, no, no, no. I don't, I don't, I'm not going to do anything. Just give me the x-ray. And they run out. See, they got the knowledge, but if they don't take care of it, if they don't get it set in place, guess what? That x-ray does them no good. See, knowing all this stuff about Jesus Christ, coming to church on a day like today to, quote, celebrate Jesus Christ won't make anyone a Christian any more than eating at McDonald's will turn you into a Happy Meal. 
But sometimes we think if I just show up, something's going to happen. Well, it can happen. But it always starts with a choice. See, the Bible calls Jesus the great physician. It's Jesus who come, who came and still comes today to immunize us from this thing called sin. And like smallpox, every person has to get immunized personally to be protected and released from the potentials of the disease. The Bible's clear on this point, friends. Romans 10:13 says that those who call on the name of the Lord Jesus will be saved. Jesus provided the remedy 2,000 years ago, but every person has to make a choice. They have to call on him. Every person has to admit, I've got a need. I've got this, I've got this disease called sin, and it will kill me if I don't get it taken care of through the person and life of Jesus Christ. I want to read the second part. We saw on the screens Turn to John chapter 20 if you have a Bible. We saw Mary Magdalene. Jesus appears to Mary Magdalene, who then goes and tells the disciples about what has taken place. In just a moment, we're going to hear a song called Home and um, some powerful statements about that song. I believe it's almost, most of you are familiar with it. It's popular on the radio. It's been for probably a year now. But I believe it's almost a prophetic proclamation of a generation. Well, John chapter 20, verse 19 says this. In the evening of that first day of the week, the disciples were gathered together with the doors locked because of their fear from the Jews. These guys are afraid. They killed Jesus. They figure, well, we're probably next. Then Jesus came. Get this. They're fearful. And then all of a sudden, Jesus appears in the room and he says to them, peace to you. <laughs> Can you imagine how much they would need that peace once all of a sudden they think Jesus is dead? And all of a, whew, doors are locked and he appears. Well, having said this, peace to you, he showed them his hands and his side. So the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. No kidding. Well, Jesus said to them again, peace to you. And notice what he says to them after he expresses this personal peace to alleviate their fears and to show that he is alive and resurrected and real. He says, as my father has sent me, I also send you. And after saying this, he breathed on them and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. This is what we would call entering into a relationship with Jesus Christ that breathed is the same words that is used in Genesis chapter 2 when it says that God breathed into the nostrils of man and gave him life. But now he's giving them a different life. They're already alive physically. Now he's basically saying, I'm resurrected. Now I'm going to give you spiritual life through the presence of the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. He goes on to say, but one of the 12, Thomas, called twin, he was not with them when Jesus came. I, make sure you don't miss church. You never know who will show up. Was that not with them when Jesus came? So the other disciples kept telling uh, Thomas, we, we, we've seen the Lord. And doubting Thomas says to them, 
If I don't see the marks of the nails in his hands, put my finger into the mark of the nails and put my hand into his side, I'll never believe. Well, after eight days, his disciples were indoors again. And Thomas was with them. Even though the doors were locked, Jesus came and he stood among them. And again, he says, peace be with you. Again, he's dealing with their fears, their doubts. And then I love this because Jesus just goes straight over to Thomas. I mean, he makes an appearance to Thomas. For some of you that may doubt that Jesus wants to speak to you today. He goes over to him. What does he say? Hey, big boy, put your finger right here and observe my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Don't be an unbeliever. Don't be a believer. See, Thomas doesn't even have to touch him now. What does he say? He says, Thomas responded, my Lord, my God, my Savior, my Master. And then Jesus says this word, and it's really not for them, it's really for us. He says, because you have seen me, you have believed. But those who believe without seeing are blessed. That's us. We haven't seen, but we can still experience the risen Christ. I want you to listen to this song. It's called Home, and we'll talk about it in just a minute. You can always be found 
Here's some of the, the lines of that. No, you'll have troubles here, but you're not alone. No, you're not alone. The demons that bring you fears. You're going to have troubles. There's going to be difficulties. That's true. But this is what Christ wants you to you're, you're not alone. That's the last word, presence. That's what Jesus brought to the upper room. They're hiding out and they're fearful. And all of a sudden, he's there. And his first words are peace. And that's what Christ's presence does. When you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, he brings you peace because now you have peace with God. That's what Romans 5.1 says, having been justified, having been redeemed by your faith, by your choice. Guess what? Now you get to experience the presence and the power of Christ. I've been here 21 years now. I've seen people walk through those doors and these doors, people that are broken and wounded and damaged. Sometimes it's due to what their parents have done to them. Sometimes it's due to what their spouse has done to them. Sometimes it's due to what their kids have done to them. Sometimes it's due to what... um, people they work with have done to them. Sometimes it's due to what they've done and are doing to themselves. They've been ripped off by themselves, by lovers. They come in bitter, questioning. They're literally ready to cash it in. They're out of hope. They're hateful and they don't know what to do. And for some reason, they come here. And all of a sudden, they hear something and they decide to make a choice to choose Jesus Christ, to enter into a relationship with the living God who loves them, who wants to come and destroy the works of evil in their lives. Much like the disciples, isn't it? Except Jesus comes into their room. They're hopeless. Their dreams have been dashed and they're hiding out in fear. And Jesus says, I'm going to bring you a new relationship and a new calling and purpose for your life. Christ's presence, loved ones, is a game changer for your inner life and your outer life. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, that all things become new. Old things pass away because of the work of Christ in you. Not some things, all things. And like these disciples, they walked with Jesus for three years, but they're still working through stuff. All of us bring stuff In here, we're faced with stuff. And like what Jesus did with those disciples, he will always bring each one of us to crucial places in our life where we have to make choices that will either move us forward, keep us where we are, or set us back. And he does the same with those disciples then, and he does it with you and I today. Hear me. Don't miss the messiness of these disciples. There isn't a stained glass guy or gal in the bunch. They don't talk in God tones. They don't have the spiritual language down. They're simply like you and I, trying to pay the mortgage, raise a family. And that's why it's so easy for each of us to identify with them. One of the disciples you saw in the film clip who was in this upper room, he was the apostle. Johnny was called the apostle of love. Because it says in his writings, it says that the one whom Jesus loved. Wouldn't that be great to be, ah, Terry's the pastor of love. John, he's the apostle of love. How does he get there? 
Well, you have to see he had to go through a major transformation because his life, really, what we could have called him was John the Stormy. Because when he was walking with Jesus for three years, Luke chapter 9 tells us that John got so upset, he found fault. He started judging these other preachers of that day because they weren't with them, but they were out casting out demons. And they were preaching the same message of Jesus. And John's upset because they're not part of the 12 in Jesus. He goes to Jesus, Jesus, can you believe those people over there? They're casting out people. They're casting out demons in your name and they're healing people and doing all these wonderful things. Can I go tell them to stop? Jesus goes, what? No, 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 no. If they're not against us, they're for us. Oh. And then later in that same passage, Jesus and his, and his disciples, they're traveling through this town of Samaria, which would have been the big major enemies of the Jews. And they were going in there to preach and to serve and to love them. And as they went in there, the scripture says, they didn't receive them. They totally rejected them. So get this, the apostle of love, <laughs> John, he's got his brother whose name is James, and they're nicknamed the sons of thunder. So they're going along, and John goes to Jesus, listen, Jesus, I don't want to call down thunder. Let's call down fire from heaven, and let's incinerate them. That's not very loving. As a matter of fact, Jesus turns to him. You know what he says? He says, you know something? You really don't get this thing. That's not the spirit that we bring to this world. We're not here to hurt. We're here to heal. We're not here to blast. We're here to bless. And then towards the end of Jesus' ministry, as he's kind of coming in for a landing to die, Matthew chapter 20 tells how he's talking about dying with his brain trust, the disciples there. And all of a sudden, he's talking about what's going to happen. And they're not really clicking and getting it. But Jesus is having this intense talk. And all of a sudden, you can just kind of see John kind of raising his hand. And he goes, hey, Jesus, I, I got a question. Yes, John. I, uh, well, I want to know where I'm going to be in the kingdom. <laughs> what kind of spot am I going to have? What kind of position am I going to have? And Jesus, I'm sure he's just pulling his hair out. You don't get this, do you, dude? So, but Jesus sees something very powerful in this imperfect man. In spite of his failures and his foibles and his faults. That's what I love about Jesus, because he does the same for you and you and you and you and you. He sees something in, him, in us that is intrinsic to the image of himself. And he says to John, I'm going to make something of you. What does he see? When does he literally become the disciple of love? Remember this. There were thousands of people that came to Jesus for healing. Thousands of people that were touched by Jesus. But out of those thousands that came to him in those three years... Only 70, it says, actually followed. And then of those 70 who followed, only 12 left everything. Of those 12 who left everything to follow Jesus and be his disciples, it says only three were his inner circle. And out of those three that were his inner circle, Peter, James, and John, guess what? Only one of them was at the cross. Guess who it was? It's John. Yeah. What does Jesus see in him? 
Jesus sees in him a love and a loyalty to him. So when did Jesus become this apostle? I mean, when did John become this apostle of love? Can I tell you what I think? I think it was at the cross. When John finally realized, he saw how much Jesus loved him. Jesus says to him, John, here's my mother. Take care of her. I'm going to die. I want you to take care of my mama. And I believe this is the very reason that he sees the love that Jesus gives as being a sacrifice for his sins and the sins of the world. That from throughout his whole gospel, when he writes the gospel of John, he, always, he never refers to himself as John or the apostle whom Jesus, who, who, who loved Jesus. You know how he referred to himself? The apostle whom Jesus loved. I, I used to think, man, that's kind of arrogant. See, the only, you're, the, you're the main guy that Jesus loved? I don't think so. <coughs> I think John knew deep down inside the faults that he had. He knew he was a son of thunder. It was no surprise that he loved Jesus because Jesus was so patient, gracious, merciful, and kind to him. This was the surprise. That Jesus could love him. John was a new creation because of Christ's presence. I've seen the same thing in people here. I've seen people who walk through those doors. They're full of hate. And pretty soon they become loving. I've seen greedy people who just wanted the next toy. They begin to become generous with their money and help many who have less. I see people who hold grudges coming in against other people and they begin to forgive. I just had a guy tell me in between services. I've been asking how he's doing. He's been going through a difficult time. And this is what he said. I said, how are you doing today, brother? And he said, I learned to forgive this person and it's made all the difference in the world. Why? Because Jesus is at work. See, once you experience peace with God, then you can experience the peace of God. Christ's presence becomes real, and it will begin not only to work inside of you, but it will begin to work things outside of you. Remember what Jesus said to them? After he alleviates and assuages their fears, and he breathes new spiritual life into them, what does he do? He says, go, I send you. See, when you come into a really vital, loving relationship with Jesus, you will know you're really moving and maturing and moving along when you begin to go out and do the things that Jesus did. And you begin to be part of the mission that he is a part of. That's what his peace will do. That's what his presence will do in your life. It will motivate you beyond self-fulfillment to become selfless for the people around you. That's what I love about Creekside Church. We do this crab feed, and the people that do it, they give so much, literally hundreds of hours to it. And then the week of it, they don't sleep hardly, but they still maintain their jobs. And then they're here for 20 hours over the weekend and night. All of the money that comes in from this community crab feed, it doesn't go to Creekside, it goes out. And this past week, that team went out to the schools and they were tired, they had to take another day off of work, but they went out and they were tired and they said, wow, we're going to kind of cut back on this. 
And then they found out how much it meant to do it, to deliver it in person to these schools. They delivered over $17,000 to schools. <laughs> you don't do that if God's not at work in you. People around here serve. People doing the building and they're serving and they're, you don't even notice them, Hardy, because they're so good at what they do. But they come here and they put in hours on Sundays. People are spending almost the whole weekend here serving this weekend so that we can reach out to our community and let them know Jesus loves you and so do we. That's what Jesus' presence does. And then we got a team. They got a team that go to Mexico this year. They've done it for a number of years. They go down there and they build a house for somebody who's poor. They want to make a difference. And we have people say, well, it's only one family. It's only one week. So what? What we can, what we wish we could do for many, we will do for one. Because Jesus came for the individual. Yes, he gave his life for humanity, but guess what? He would have done it for one. Person. And what we wish we could do for many, we will do for one. People take a week off work. They take vacation time to be able to go down there and serve the poor. Why? Because that's Jesus' presence at work in them. The greatest presence, loved ones, we will experience and the greatest peace we will have is when we've chosen Christ. We no longer have to live, guess what? in the fear of death. Can I tell you, whatever happens in this life is as bad as it will ever be when you know Jesus. Because we get to look forward to our own resurrection. There were these three friends and they were discussing death and one asked the other, well, what would you like people to say about you at your funeral? Well, the first friend said, you know, I'd like for them to say, man, he's a great humanitarian. He served his community, loved his community and people. Second friend said, you know, I'd like for them to say that he was a great husband, a great father, an example to many. That's, that's what I want him to say. And the third friend thought about it for a second, and he paused and said, matter-of-factly, I would like for them to say, look, he's moving He's alive. Well, can I tell you something? See, that's the way we think about death. Oh, I don't want to die. I don't want to be stuck there. But it's simply a transition from life to life. We will move someday. As Jesus was resurrected, it is the promise that you and I will become resurrected to receive a new body. Don't you thank God for that? We get to live in a new environment, a perfect community in the presence of Christ forever who came to redeem us and we'll get to experience the ultimate peace and the eternal presence of this God who loves you, this Christ who loves you so much that he gave his life for you. I'm going to invite you to take out your notes. I want you to run through something real quick. I haven't done this before, but we're going to do it today. I want, to, I want you to find out what you believe about this God. It's not a test. It's just simply a find. What do you believe about this God that we're celebrating today? You'll see there on your notes, there's a little square. And I'm going to ask you to fill that in if you agree and believe with some of the things that we've said today. 
So the first one is simply this love. Do you believe that there's a God who has this astonishing capacity to love and he created this world with humans and gave them the ability to love and to respond to God? Do you believe that? If you believe that, check the box or fill it in. Secondly, evil. Do you believe that evil exists? And it's messed with people's lives and and nations throughout the history of mankind. Not only have you seen it exist around you, but you know that it's had influence upon you. And if you believe that, would you check this box or fill it in? Thirdly, redeem. Do you believe that when God saw the mess that humanity was in, the need of their life that they had, that he said, we are gonna, we're going to take care of this. And because of that, he said, I'm going to send my son, my only begotten son, who will redeem, buy back mankind from the sin and the evil that they faced, that he was resurrected. He died on a Friday, resurrected on the third day. And now he's in the Father in heaven. And he's the Savior of the world. If you believe that, check the box or fill it in. The presence. Do you believe that God's presence, or choice, I'm sorry, the choice. Have you at some point in your life called on the remedy, the great physician, Jesus Christ, to be your remedy, to immunize you from the disease of sin? Have you done this in the past? Have you experienced the forgiveness and the presence of God in your life because you made a choice? Well, maybe if you're foggy on that today and you you aren't sure if you did or whatever, make the choice today where you simply say, Jesus, I want to receive you. I want to follow you. I want you to forgive me of my sins. If you're in any parts of those, take that box. Check the box. Fill it in. And the last one, presence. Do you believe his presence can bring wholeness, can heal your past, the deepest pains of your life, give you hope and purpose for your present, and know that your future is secured in eternity? Do you believe that? If you do, check or fill in the blank. As we close this part of the service, maybe it's you filled in one, two, three, maybe all five. It's not a right or wrong here today per se, but maybe this will tell you where you are on your journey with Christ. Maybe you didn't fill some of these in. It's a great place to begin to start, to read, to learn, to grow, to say, I want to know more about this person, Jesus Christ, so that I can know for sure about this whole thing called Easter. Did he resurrect on the third day? Because if he did, it means a lot for you personally. Guess what? You have to make a choice to either reject or to accept. Maybe today you made that, you, you checked that box for the first time that you're making a choice to follow Jesus. Or maybe you said some time ago, I'm going to follow Jesus, but you've never been baptized. What a great day to do it. Easter weekend, to celebrate what Jesus has done and to follow him in what he did for you. It's a picture of his burial when you go under and the resurrection when you come up into new life. Father, I pray for these people. I ask, Lord, that this Easter would be different for them, that people here would make choices, that people here would understand the meaning and the scope, not just the day, but the history of of Easter and the resurrection. 
And I just ask now, Lord, that if there's anybody that wants to follow you, that they'd have the courage to be able to do that. You were naked on a cross and suffered for us. God, give us the courage to follow you. And if anybody here today needs to make that choice for the first time, let them decide to follow Jesus, to receive their immunization today for their sin so they could spend eternity with you. Have a new purpose for life, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.